one year, um, I had a friend uh, visiting visiting me from Europe in January, which is usually one of our coldest coldest rainiest months. So she had appropriate clothes. We had a heat wave the first two weeks. It was like August in January. <laughs> she had a, we had to go to the store so she could get some clothes. <laughs> Appropriate yeah, uh, for the weather. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't bring a winter jacket to college, but there were nights when I felt like I, I could definitely use some heavier clothing. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, yeah, we're, it, it's unpredictable here. It always has been since I was a kid. I remember having uh, layers of clothes that I would stuff into my locker in junior high and high school. <laughs> and by the end of the day, I w usually it goes in the reverse that you're really hot toward the end of the day. So by the end of the day, when you opened your locker, it was just filled with clothes. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> Well, it's good to have a locker. <laughs> yeah. Than carrying it around or something. Yeah. Is it derecho? Is that the the windstorm? I think so. I think that sounds okay. right. Yeah. I was I was doing some quick googling. I was thinking derecho or something like that. Yeah, it's just a. Little, it it we get really, especially when we get to Santa Ana's, we get really heavy winds. But every once in a while, especially in the foothills, we get those. It's it's kind of scary because it's like I remember walking home from school and seeing um, what tumbleweeds go by, mm -hmm. and I did not live in the country. I lived <laughs> in the suburbs. I always wondered where the heck it was coming from, but there were. Um, you know, there were fields that it could come from, abandoned sure. fields and stuff like that. But I'm like, we're not in the desert. Why do we have tumbleweeds? <laughs> Although California is a desert. We just made it pretty. The, the yeah, you're, you're always kind of desert adjacent, right? Yeah. I mean, Los, all of the cities is uh, in Los Angeles, uh, in Southern California, we were all desert. They just, they have water. They got uh, all this other stuff, and it made it more, well, suburbs and then de than desert. Um, but every once in a while, uh, someone up there decides to remind, you are in the desert. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the desert's right near us. Uh, it's a huge, there's, there, we have Death Valley, you know, right. in California, so... Yeah, we got some major deserts here. <laughs> it's, it was always fun to drive to Vegas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as soon as you go east from L.A., you really get into the desert. And then that Vegas drive, I mean, there, there are times where, I've done it a few times, and there are times where I was worried I was going to run out of gas and just be stranded in the oh. middle of the desert. Oh, that would be scary. What's worse yeah. is that the water from your car. My dad always had um, a can of gas and two bottles of water because he was always he didn't want to have the water, you know, because it's it's there was no there was nowhere to get water. <laughs> right. 
I mean, gas stations were pretty far apart. At least yeah. when we started, you know, I'm sure that there's more now. But, because um, it's all developing. But, yeah, it, I mean, when I was going, when I was a little girl, there were Stuckies, you know, the restaurant where they got toys and stuff like that. I know, you get candy and taffy and toys. That's what I remember from, of course, I was like seven. So <laughs> That's what I remember from it. But um, Yeah, no, I remember, as we would get on there, and it's like next, you know, exit 50, 60 miles. Yeah. It's not like you see anything along the side of the road. It's just nothing. Nothing. That distance. We saw a Roadrunner. We were so excited because of the cartoon. Oh. <clears throat> but a real runner goes a lot faster than the Roadrunner in the cartoon. And you you can actually see the Roadrunner in the cartoon, but a Roadrunner that's actually running goes much faster than that. <laughs> and they don't look exactly like the Roadrunner. They made it prettier. But I, yeah. that was cool though. We were like, "Oh my God, what's that?" And my dad goes, "It's a roadrunner." Really? Like the cartoon? We were both. My brother was trying to crawl on my seat, you know. We and but my dad goes, "You put that belt back on." <laughs> and my mom reached over to make sure his belt was on properly. Um, but yeah, it was. It was like. I think we, I was about, at that time I was about nine, so he would have been about six. <laughs> and my mom was like, you stay in your belt. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was introduced then, because yeah, they didn't have seat belts in cars when we were very little. Yeah, no, no car seat, seat belt? Well, they, I mean, he didn't have a car seat. Uh, at that time, because he was a big boy, you know, he was okay. six years old. Um, but um, when he was little, when he, we were driving, when he was like one or two or three, no, I don't know, if he still had it for. But they had car seats then, but it was harder to put it in. There was no seatbelt, so they had a, you, you, there was a strap that was attached, and you, you shoved it into the seat, and then you used strap to wrap it around the thing. I remember Dad cursing as he was trying to put the thing in. <laughs> <laughs> My mom saying, Luke, kids! And he said, I'm sorry, I'm frustrated. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he couldn't help it. <laughs> Um, but I always thought it was funny. Yeah, of course, when you were a kid. But, um, but then, uh, it's just, I, I remember he always did that. I he had a very hard time putting, like, Ikea stuff together. He was putting together, um, a computer desk for me from Ikea, and he was cursing his head off. And I was in my 30s at the time, so it hadn't changed. 
I said, do you want me to help you? No. Are you sure? Yes. Do you want some water? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Poor dad. <laughs> that was not one of his best things, putting things together. He was not Mr. Fix-It. Um, so, what adventures have you been on since I last talked to you? Oh, let's see. Um, I didn't, I didn't realize it until today. We were in, actually in San Diego in January, and my wife, you know, said to me today, where does Cherry live again? I said, San Diego. I was like, oh, we were just there. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even think about it. I'm sorry, I could have met up. Um, we were in San Diego in yeah, we were in San Diego in January and then went to Arizona in March. So, got got a little bit of the desert this year. That's cool. Um, yeah, Arizona is nice pretty. It's got red yeah. clay type things instead of the yeah, normal. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Great hiking and it was fun. But, um, yeah, that's one thing I remember when we were going cross-country, my mother pointing out, look at, this is called the Painted Desert. Look at the side of the mountain and it was all the different colors in it and stuff. Um, but my parents like to use travel as educational. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember La, Ma La Mesa. I remember the mesas in... Um, New Mexico and the red, the painted desert in Arizona. It's cool. Yeah, it's really pretty. It's, it's kind of, I've, you know, being in Arizona, it's kind of, this is really cool and very alien compared to Chicago. I don't know if I could live here and not, not really see any trees taller than 20 feet, but it's, it's, uh, Quite a breathtaking scenery. It is beautiful, absolutely. Yeah, beautiful in its own way. Yeah, um, I kind of prefer California. Yeah, I, I like a little more vegetation, or at least you know that's what I've grown up with. So yeah, I'm used to that. Well, I like also. I lived in Chicago, and the one thing I missed was our mountains. Because mm -hmm. you're flat. Yeah, I think the tallest point in Illinois is not is like a hill or a mound or something. Yeah. Not even a mountain. Um, so the worst part about living in Chicago, I lived in a suburb. I can't rolling something. Um, it's been a long time. Uh, but there it was. Um, we had a tornado, and you could actually see this stupid thing coming because there was no protection. <laughs> Yeah. No mountains, nothing. <laughs> but, yeah, that's one of the reasons I came back home. I lived there for six months. I love the people. I love Chicago. I love going into the city of Chicago. I love to go to the Field Museum, Mission Street. You mean, you guys, you guys have great culture and stuff like that. I loved it. I went to theater there. Um, got really cool restaurants there. If only you guys didn't have tornadoes. <laughs> well, you have earthquakes. Yeah, but you have tornadoes every year. We have earthquakes every <laughs> once in a while. 
really get tornadoes in the city. Every now and then we'll get like a tornado warning. We had one earlier this year, but I don't, I don't think they real get past any of the tall buildings. You know, so they're usually confined to the suburbs. Yeah, and I was living in the suburbs, and I was working in yeah. the suburbs. So I didn't, uh, yeah, I went to the city during the weekend. I take the train. I I was I like the city. I really like the city. I wasn't like, being in the suburbs was like being here in the San Fernando Valley. I'm not in San Fernando. Um, when I was living in L.A. or here in San Diego, I live in a suburb here too. Suburbs are the same everywhere you go. They're not. There's no yeah. real difference between suburbs. They were all built the same, I think, because. Uh, they were all started in the 50s and 60s, so I think they were all built the same. <laughs> so, Chicago's city's cool, though. Yeah, I agree. I like living here. Um, I, I re uh, one thing that was really cool, you guys have a, a bus or a tram, I don't know what they called it, that you would pay once and you could go hop on and hop off all day and go to any of the tour sites you wanted to go to. That was really cool. Yeah, I think they have those in a lot of cities now. Yeah, they have them. San Diego might even have one. We, I don't think we have one in San Diego. No, okay. Uh, but we have, there is one in Pasadena. But I wish we had one in San Diego. But San Diego is really spread out in that way. It's sort of like L.A. The, the city is tiny. Uh, the actual city of San Diego is not big. But the, yeah. the, the, the suburbs go on and on. <laughs> it's, it's like L.A. <laughs> but I, actually, I think the uh, downtown in San Diego is much prettier than any other city I've ever lived in. It's just really pretty downtown. You know, where they have... It is. It is a, yeah, it's a very nice downtown area with the park and the marinas. Yeah. How do you like the new marina? They have um, a new fisherman's which village. Is, which is the new Ever. marina. Well, you know where uh, the... the first time I've been oh, you, San Diego in a while. Oh, oh, the village, the... The... What do you call it? The sea village. Oh, I forgot the name of it. It's, um... Okay. It's, it's I think I know what you're talking about. Like, close to... The, to the Padre Stadium, but if you like, where to go from there straight to the water? Yeah, but it's past there. It's it's on the other side of the stadium. Um, it's on the other side of the stadium. It's on the other side of the convention center. Okay. Yeah. And it's right on the ocean, there. and they have um, Seaport Village. I think that's what it's called. Um, yeah, something like that. They changed the whole thing. Okay. But, yeah, they reconstructed it. Uh, yeah, I've never it. been to that area of San Diego before, so it was all new to me. Ah, okay. Yeah, um, it, it's it's they changed the whole thing. I was like sort of worried, but um, apparently I haven't been there to, to the new one. But my brother has, and he said it's really nice. So I'll, I trust his judgment. <laughs> but you know, when they reconstruct things, you don't know what they're going to do to it. <laughs> right. Especially if you like the way it was. Yeah, you you have the memories associated with the original out of the original place. Yeah, it's like I I've tried to explain this to people, but most people don't understand. I like the way Hollywood used to be, 
I don't really like the new updated Hollywood because what they did is take all the style of Beverly Hills and stuck it into Hollywood and took all the character away from Hollywood. Hmm, okay. So, um, it, they had cute little shops where they sold, like, books and scripts and pictures. These are different shops and all kinds of different stuff. And it, uh, uh, they had really adorable restaurants. And it's all gone. I just, it just depressed me. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad if you have such a strong connection with a place like that. Well, I, LA's, I was brought up there, so yeah, it's my town. <laughs> you know I live here, and I like it a lot. LA's still home. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You've been to LA, right? I have. um, Not as much as maybe I I should have going to college in Southern California. I went to a school about 40 miles east of LA. Um, So I I probably could have gotten into LA, should have gotten into LA a little bit more than I did. Pasadena? Uh, Pasadena some. Uh, Anaheim a little bit too. Cause oh, uh, Pasadena is a really cool old city, and it has really good art galleries. Um, I'm sure you've seen during the parade the Norton Simon Museum is right. They always have NS right behind when the um, the New Year's Day parade goes by. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, that's a museum called Norton Simon Museum, and it's got some of the most beautiful art I've ever seen. Highly recommend it. Yeah, I did. I did not take advantage of the culture of Southern California as much as I should have while I was there. Well, you're a college kid. Right, that was the problem. What What do college kids know? <laughs> exactly. Especially if you're away from home for the first time and. See, I was I went to college in my city, so even though I I I lived at home and went to college, never went to a dorm, so I don't know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, my college was a very small college. Um, a lot of a lot of the activities happening on campus. Most students lived on campus, um, so we would spend a lot of time there. Um, occasionally, we would, you know drive out to the coast and go to the beach, but that was, we, I, I went to baseball games, um, went to a comedy show in L.A., but we, a lot of our college life was on campus. Um, which uh, comedy, did you go to the comedy store, Laugh Factory, do you remember which one you went to? Oh, I want to say it was one of those. It was, it was, a, was it in Hollywood? Was it in Hollywood? I forget. Oh. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's a well-known comedy club. In LA. So it's probably one of those. Yeah. Comedy Store is the most famous, but Laugh Factory is also. They, you know, when they started having those uh, uh, TV specials from different comedy stores when comedy was really going hot, like in the, hmm. like the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, it was a really hot period for comedians. 
they used to, I mean, that's why all the comedians started getting their own shows, like Seinfeld and Ray Romano and people like that, because comedy was hot. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so you would see, well, my favorite were the female comedians. I liked Elaine Boozler and Rita Rudner, people like that. They just, I, they were my favorites. They did movies, but they didn't do TV shows. <laughs> Rita, actually, I didn't know this. I was interviewing a cinematographer who worked on the film, uh, Peter's Friends. Rita Rudner wrote that. I had She's in it, but I had no idea she wrote it. <laughs> she wrote it with a, a writing partner. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see it? I have not seen it. Oh, it's very good. It's got this great cast. Some of you know, Kevin, Kenneth uh, Brunt, can't talk today. Uh, he did, um, I can't say his name right now. It's one of those days. Uh, he did uh, uh, the recent uh, Belfast movie, and he did okay. uh, Death on the Nile and Murder on the Orient Express and Henry V and all kinds of stuff, and I can't Kenneth, and I can't say his name. He was married to Emma Thompson. I can say her name, and she was in the movie too. And um, there's a it's a it's got a really good cast. Oh, Hugh Fraser is in it, and um, I can't remember what her Imelda Stanton. She played the nasty pink lady in Harry Potter. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, she was in it. It's a really good movie. It's you can get it like on um Tubi or 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 Britbox, one of those things. I it's really funny and sad and sweet. You know, a good movie. I I will have to get a whole list of movie recommendations for you because I also love movies, but I feel like you have tapped into an entire of movies that are just not on my radar that I'm missing out on. Well, I do like older movies. Well, I'm not opposed to older movies. I mean, I, I watch like... new movies. I mean, I, yeah. I, as soon as I can, I want to see the new Downton Abbey movie. Um, <laughs> um, I, I saw Death on the Nile. I saw, I saw, I, I, um, Knives Out. Um, I've seen a lot of new movies. I just like older movies. I just I, there's something about classic film that I've been watching it since I was a little girl. Watching coming home from school and watching a 3:30 afternoon movie on television with my mother. <laughs> it's just some, it's something that's in me. But it's it's I there I don't know I. It's. I keep trying to explain to younger people that black and white television was a choice. The reason they did it was because there's something they they could have color. They had color even in the silence, um, but they chose black and white for a reason. And it's supposed to give you the mood of the movie. It's not something that's lower class than a color film. It's really hard to get people to understand, especially people who have had color televisions and seen uh, t uh, color movies 
and and never really have been exposed. I said, didn't you see Wizard of Oz when you were growing up? And one of the girls I talked to said, yeah. And I said, don't you remember the beginning and the end of the movie? It was black and white. <laughs> and she goes, no, I don't remember that. I'm like, how can you not remember Wizard of Oz? <laughs> it was a big deal when she said, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore because it was all color. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, there was a reason for it. Also, could you really see the tornado hitting the house? It was in color. It wouldn't have worked as well as it did black and white. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Or do I sound yeah, like an old body? <laughs> no, no, and I'm, I'm not opposed to black and white movies. I mean, I certainly grew up in an age where, you know, the vast majority of movies were in color and something like um, Schindler's List was a standout because it was mostly black and white, but I'm, just I, because the movie is black and white doesn't mean that it's, it's something that, I wouldn't see. Yeah. It's just like um, you can tell the artist was shot in color and then filtered into black and white. It's mm -hmm. so, it has such a different film feel than a black and white movie. You know what I mean? The you can just tell that they had they drained the color out so they'd have a black and white movie. Okay. <laughs> um but I actually have discovered some black and white movies that I knew about. I mean, they're famous. But I I, I realized I had never seen one of them was Now Voyager with Betty Davis. I for some reason that was one I never saw. And I watched it recently. My God, why didn't I see this? It was I, it's a great film. Um, it, 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 you, just because I like that doesn't mean I've seen every movie. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> you know? I mean, I've been watching old movies since I was a kid. I even took film classes and, and saw all kinds of old films. I even saw The Nook of the North in one of my anthropology classes. So I've been watching, I, but it's impossible for you to see every movie. So it's like this cool discovery when you find an old movie that you've seen referred to. It's the one where um, Paul um, Henry has two cigarettes and he lights it. I mean, I mean they've ha made fun of it in movies and hands it to Betty Davis, and they smoke. <laughs> and, um, it's been in comedies where they try to do it, and they burn their lips. I mean, it's, it's I'm like I said, I it's been referenced my whole life, but I realized recently when they were, when it was on HBO, I'd never seen it. <laughs> you know, ha, have you ever had that happen? That Like, you, you thought you knew it, but you realized you never actually saw it? Um, I can't think of a specific movie, but yeah, I do remember that, those instances where you see something like, oh, that's what all those other things were referring to. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it was like, it actually, um, I've been watching this thing on uh, Turner Classic Movies called Follow the Thread about the importance of design and clothing and wardrobe in movies, and one of the designers who uh, did the Joker movie that was recent. His favorite movie is Voyager. 
So they were showing this whole swath of this movie, and I don't remember that. I don't think I've seen it. That's how I came to know I hadn't seen uh-huh. it, because they were showing it, a whole bunch of the scenes from the movie. And I went, oh, I've never seen this movie. <laughs> I've just seen certain scenes of it, because they've shown it in lots of things. Um, they showed it in a TV series with Judy Dench and her late husband, um, where they tried to do it and uh, they burnt themselves and they knocked their heads into each other and all kinds of stuff. Um, but it was a comedy, it was a sitcom. Uh, but, but I think they even did it in one of the airplane movies, did a, a take on uh, Now Voyager. I mean, okay. it's always referenced. It's just, it's, because it's really classic, you know, it's like. Yeah like so many of those old classic movies and anyway so it was so strange to watch it and go oh this is really good what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> well my favorite Betty Davis movie is still all about Eve but now this movie has moved up on my scale of Betty Davis movies <laughs> okay well that's good discovered something something Classics, yeah, yeah. A new, new favorite. Yeah, isn't that weird? My age, still discovering. Yeah, it's stuff. exciting when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and like I said, you think you, you've seen it, but you haven't. Right. <laughs> so, have you read anything interesting, or are you too busy working on your books to read? Um, let's see. I've really got into, um. Emily St. John Mandel's work. Um, so she wrote most famously Station Eleven. Um, oh. I don't know if you've read that or I've heard of it. But I, I've heard of it, but it's, I've never read it. It's it's excellent. Um, it may not be a book for everyone right now because it's about a, a virus that kills ninety nine percent of the Earth's population. Yeah, not um, not really. So it might be a little little too real right now. Um, yeah. She's a really talented writer, and she has a incredible knack for um, writing what seem to be very simple sentences, but packing a ton of emotion and um, a, t- a ton of um, really um, brilliant observations into very simple language. Um, so Eleven is really good. Her latest is called Theater and Sea of Tranquility, which might be my favorite of hers. Um, which is, in some ways, a, a novel um, dealing with the most recent pandemic, COVID-19 pan- pandemic, but also deals with time travel, and it's a good, really good science fiction novel in addition to being incredibly well-written. That's cool. I, I actually have never heard of her. I'm, I have to check her out. I, I've heard of the book, Station Eleven. But I don't think I ever heard of the name of the author. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think Station Eleven was her third or fourth book. Um, and the, the, her first few, you know, I'm sure did fine, but Station Eleven was really her breakout. What, um, so is it, it's science fiction? Yeah, um, Station Eleven is um, pretty much science fiction. You know, it's sort of post-apocalyptic. Um, you call it, I guess, literary science fiction. She's doing something 
kind of similar to what Cormac McCarthy does in The Road, where it's um, a little bit more focus on these individual characters and not going into too much detail about the, the particulars of the disease or the conditions of the, the breakdown of society. Um, then the book after that is called The Glass Hotel, which is not science fiction. Um, I, I guess we just call it literary fiction, but it deals with um, several different characters, and a lot of it is sort of a um, fictional representation of a Bernie Madoff type Ponzi scheme um, and how that all collapses around these characters. And then the one after that is Sea of Tranquility, um, which is sort of a time travel, pandemic esque um, literary sci fi again. Um, and she does this thing, at least in the last three novels that I've read of hers, where characters from the previous novels will appear in the next one. So they're not strictly sequels. Um, but you'll just see like a side character from Station Eleven appear in the Glass Hotel, and then the same thing in, in Sea of Tranquility. So it's, it's kind of like she's constructed this fictional world that she keeps drawing from, even though she's not—they're not strictly sequels. It's just these characters have these other lives that you don't realize until you read the next book. That's really cool. Yeah, I—I I think that. Um it's it's cool when an author tries different types of genres because you see the different sides of her or him. Mm-hmm. What's your um, yeah? What's your favorite? Um, my favorite of hers, I think, is Sea of Tranquility. Although the three that I've read have all are all excellent, and I now have to go back and read some of her earlier work. I actually uh, just. Um, I, w- I read Sidney Porte's autobiography. That was fascinating. I'm sure that's excellent, yeah. I actually read it before he passed away. I started reading it before. Um, and it was, I was like, do I continue? Because he just died halfway through, and I said, do I continue? Yeah, why not? I mean, I, this is an honor of him now. <laughs> yeah. It, it's very interesting. He, um, he talks about um, facing prejudice in Miami and he, he said he had never cause on, I think I forgot what island he's from um, uh, he said he never had I mean there were people that were black there were people that were white and everybody got along on the island he was from he was on a small island that was um, I think it was near uh, Jamaica, but it was a small island, and um, he said we we didn't have it. The people were, didn't do it. So when he went to Miami, and people started calling him boy and things like that, he didn't know what they were talking about. It, it was a it was um, it was just like he was like 16 or 17 when he moved to the states. It, it, he, he, it was a culture shock. Um, but this, the interesting, the sweetest story he told was um, when he went, left the South and he went to New York and he had sort of fallen in love with uh, acting. And he wanted to do it, but he couldn't read or write. He wasn't taught that. He was, um, so it was, he 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 went for an audition, 
and he couldn't read the script. And so he was working as a busboy in a restaurant, and one of the waiters was a nice white man who taught him to read and write every night. He goes, if you work with me every night and are really, really committed, I will teach you how to read and write. And he did. And he, he actually uh, dedicated uh, the, a book to him uh, because he saved his life as far as he's concerned. Isn't yeah. That's the sweetest story. Propelled his career, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't have had a career if if he wasn't right. taught that. Um. He goes, this is just a nice man who taught him how to do it. And he 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 actually had gone back to meet him after he had started becoming famous. Uh, he had gotten a Broadway part. And he thanked him. And he tried to, he goes, can I give you anything? He said, no, you can't give me anything, but if you meet someone who needs help, just help them. And that will be a payback to me. That was that's that's the kind of honorable man you just want to kiss, you know. <laughs> he didn't. He he hadn't. He 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 wasn't a TV or movie star yet. He was. He just was doing Broadway and TV live television. But he was. He had money now, but he didn't want it. He just he just wanted him to continue doing that for someone else. Yeah. Isn't it? I just, oh, just touched me. Um, I love biographies. I love, um, just like I love documentaries. I like to, I like to see about real people. Uh-huh. But I also love fiction. I, I've read a slew of fiction this year. Um, I guess my favorite uh, is actually a, a murder mystery that uh, one of my guests. Uh, from last year did called The Shifting Landscape really good murder mystery she's she's an art dealer who uh, uh, it's, the character's name is Alex Clayton and uh, the author's name is Catherine Kovinick and uh, she's the character is Alex and she's a um, art dealer who basically sells mysteries <laughs> <laughs> she kind of just falls into these mysteries, you know, sort of like in heart to heart, you know, they just kind of okay. fall into mysteries. And um, this one was uh, in the, she, she's an Australian writer, and it was in the outback of um, Australia, and uh, she came, uh, one of, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Australia, but this is it was one of the stations like the sheep station and there was a cow station and this was a sheep station and um and she was doing an estimation of the art and then the person who hired her dies and she she liked him and he 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 was the nicest member of the family so she she was and the police wasn't really trying to do anything so she did <laughs> It's a really good book. Um, okay. I'm, I'm trying to see on my Goodreads. It's called The Shifting Landscape. I recommend it. I recommend you. it. Um, she also wrote a book that is my absolute favorite of her books. It's called The Portrait of Molly Dean. 
And what it is is a real-life murder in real life in Australia that I never heard of. And she goes back and forth between the 90s when these books take place and the 20s when the murder happened. And she puts gives all the information of what really happened. And then she, she says, I want to give a conclusion to Molly, she explains at the end of the book. And she goes, and but it's my conclusion that she explained. It's, there, this, this has not been solved, this case. It's an unsolved case. But she actually had the murderer caught in the book. Okay. It's, it's really different. But anyway, yeah, I, re- I recommend it. Good reads. Um, anyway, so tell me, I love your first book, so tell me about your what's been happening, your newest book. Sure. So I'm uh, kind of in the middle of rewriting the first draft of my latest novel. Um, it's about a man who is diagnosed with a um, very rare and very aggressive form of lung cancer. And he's basically confined to the ICU. He's um, sedated. He's put in a induced coma for several weeks. Um, and as he's kind of drifting in and out of consciousness and he's struggling with disease, he starts to have these recurring dreams, um, and eventually he and his doctor realize that what's happening in his dreams seems to be impacting the progression of his disease, and he starts to realize that the more he can kind of engage with his dreams and sort of move forward in what's happening with his dreams, it seems like his condition starts to improve, um, so it's kind of a, a survival story, um, but also kind of exploring the stream world that he's, he's involved in. So it's sort of a science fiction story then, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if, uh, what the right classification would be, some sort of like not quite magical realism, but um, some sort of metaphysical realism, I suppose. Yeah, I've done that in, well, in radio plays, I've done that a few times because it's, it's it's fun to do that because that that really stretches uh-huh. your imagination. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I hope so. Hopefully, it will do that for readers. I'm sure it will. And do you have an ETA on it? Um, I'm hoping to finish the first round of it uh, by the end of this year, and then give it to some beta readers. And so, uh, optimistically, sometime next year, but maybe more real closer to 2024. I'm slow. I'm a part-time writer, and it, it takes me a while to get through rewrites and everything. So I understand completely. I They're the bane of my existence. I'm not <laughs> good at editing. Um, uh, the editor says, this is what needs to be done, and I'm working like it's slogging through it. It's just, it's like going, I love writing. Writing comes pure and natural. But the editing is like going through, I guess, I don't know, a, a, a swamp or something. <laughs> it's just it's just such a shift in mindset. You finish that first draft and you're like, wow, look at this stack of pages that I wrote. This is amazing. And then you go back to the beginning and you're like, wow, look at this stack of pages that I have to go through. <laughs> yeah, you're like, ah. <laughs> It's 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 hard. It's lonely because you're working by yourself. Yeah. Um. 
and it just it takes a lot out of you. I get sometimes I get exhausted. I actually um, was working on a, a passage in a notebook because I just couldn't connect on the computer for some reason, and I fell asleep on the notebook. <laughs> Because I was working really hard, I just guess I knocked myself out. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's sort of a different kind of kind of magic to rewriting. You know, when you're writing the first draft, and you kind of get that flow state where everything seems to come out perfectly, and you think you you know the greatest thing you've ever written. There's magic there, but then there's magic in the rewriting when you kind of unlock something that you couldn't you couldn't get to the first time around. And suddenly things start to fall in place. Well, so every it's, it's a little definitely more of a struggle, but when it goes right, I think it's pretty satisfying. Everything needs love and care. I mean, when you're doing a book, you have to edit. When you're doing a play, you have to rehearse. I mean, you have or any kind of creative and creative enterprise, you have to do that. You have to make it right. You know. Yeah, absolutely. But it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, that's definitely I would say the hardest part. Um, at least mentally, I, you know, you think just like putting down fifty to a hundred thousand words the first time would be hard, and it is. But I think psychologically, going back through what you've already done and trying to fix it is, is psychologically more difficult. I can't remember the name of the the movie, but the character was a writer, and she was writing a, a book, and the characters began talking back to her, and, no, I wouldn't do that. Put me over there. And she's like, and she thinks she's going crazy. Um... I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's very funny. Um, they they do that once in a while. There's there's also been TV shows where they had that, and there was a very funny. I don't know if you ever watched the old Carol Burnett Variety Hour. I mean, it's no. it's on like all. I think it's on two beats on streaming. It is what variety really is. You know, they call reality shows variety and all the uh, award shows variety. That's not what variety is. Variety is stuff like the Carol Burnett show. And there was this one episode where um, there was a writer, and I think it was uh, he was writing like a mystery, and the different characters came to life, and he would say, okay, and then he is, uh, she shoots him, and he, it, the characters shoot each other. It's, it's a comedy show, i got to remember. And then, no, no, I don't like that. She backs up. He, no, it was he. He backs up, and uh, he stabs her. And she, like, they both roll, the characters both roll their eyes, and he stabs her. And it goes click, click, click. No, 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 that's not right either. Um, she throws him off the pier. They're on a pier. And so she pushes him onto, uh, off into the pier. And she goes, no, that's not right either. And she helps it pull him back up. I mean, it's, it's just, you have to see it, but it's, 
so funny. And a writer can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just, uh, but because you, you do goes like that, you do do that. You poor characters, you go back and forth. You go, you say, no, no, I don't want them to do that. I do. Let's have them do that. I'm sure the right. characters in our heads are just rolling their eyes. <laughs> um, so how are your other books doing? Um, pretty good. Uh, you know, some better than others, but trying to kind of get them all, keep them all afloat, I guess. Yeah, it's hard. Um, <clears throat> especially... You know, books aren't selling like they were, so yeah, it's harder now. And of course, it's more yeah, competition a, too. Yeah, there's been a little seems like a little bit of a dip after the um, early days of the pandemic. I mean, people were getting books, but they were like classic books. They weren't really getting new books. <laughs> you know, like the stuff that are what do they call it? Comfort comfort books, you know, like comfort food. Mm. So that's not helpful. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a little bit of both. You know, early on, people were thinking they might be at home for a long time, weren't sure, you know, what they were going to be able to do. And it seemed like people were buying books of any kind, and then people wanted to get out after a year or so. And they didn't want to be at home reading anymore. They wanted to get out and and travel and, you know, kind of resume their normal life. So it seems like they'll taper it off a little bit at that point. Yeah, it's been hard. Um, we're coming to the end. Could you um, give your website, please? Yes, it's gregkickywrites.com. So my name and then W-R-I-T-E-S.com, um, which is probably the best place for readers to find out more about me. Um, there's a link to download a, a free short novel. Um, so there's links to all my social media pages, but that's, that's definitely the best place for readers to connect with me. And um, are you on any social media? Do you want to give that out? Uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, various handles. I wasn't smart enough to make all the same, same handle. Um, but I think the easiest way is I can give you links if you want to post in the show notes or if we just go to my website there's links to all my social media posts, okay. uh, profiles okay either way it's fine um, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on my show well thank you for having me I'm thrilled to be back thank you and thank you for chatting with Sherry <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.